0: Hello, this is another episode. That's a kind of a weird way to introduce it. Another episode, like yet another episode of Successful Users. Uh, I'm your host, Samuel Hulick. Joining me, as always, is Robert Graham. And today, we are making successful user history by bringing in another person.
1: Welcome
0: to the Successful Users Podcast.
1: Featuring Samuel Hulick and Robert Graham.
0: Overwhelmingly pleased to welcome Jeff Vincent, Director of Customer Happiness at Wistia. Jeff, it is wonderful to have you here.
2: I am outstandingly pleased to be here, Samuel and Robert. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for being here, Jeff. So, do we have any, uh, any business to take care of, or should we launch right into the topic today?
3: Uh, well, we do have a new five-star
0: review here, Samuel. A new five-star review?
3: Uh, so, this is from smtm uh i think that's a twitter handle it's at smtm in austria we're branching out uh and the title is love the live chat episode and uh, this is a paragraph i'm gonna i'm gonna read it out though because i think it's pretty good
0: really we're gonna read the whole thing
3: yeah apologies editor's note actually we will
0: skip it after all i thought that was that was detailed i liked it yeah putting it into practice yeah we are nothing if not providers of actionable advice yeah
3: pure all of it's actionable one hundred percent
0: one hundred percent actionable. that should have been the name of the podcast
3: <laughs> all right, all right, so, yeah, so that, at the risk
0: this, of was... of alienating our guest and our and our <laughs> audience at large um let's let's bravely move on to the topic at hand today uh which is what what I, I was kind of calling it like knowledge centering, which is not a word really but how to, how to set up and manage and maintain a knowledge center, would that, would that be uh, a good way to put it, do you think?
3: Yeah, I think that's fair. Do we want to put Jeff on the spot and get him to, to sort of define that broadly? I would love that.
2: Okay, <laughs> okay uh, knowledge centering. Um, well, I guess, uh, as is all the rage, I mean, this is something I've bought into. Um, a lot of people love self-service help. Uh, and um, you need to learn how to, I guess, cultivate uh, the self-service help that you provide all in one place, like a knowledge center or I guess we call it our documentation or a help site or something like that. Um, and I don't want to get too far ahead because I have some of this in my tips, but yeah, there's going to be a lot say. of adding and editing that goes into it, so that's that's the definition.
0: Excellent. Nice, and, yeah. Um. I I guess the only other part that I would add is that it is a, a a separate entity from the product itself.
2: Yes, separate but connected.
0: Right. There you go. Um excellent. Well, I'm ready to 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 get straight to some tips here. Do you uh Robert, are you as is as is our uh custom ready to to kick this off?
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm totally ready. So my first tip, tip number 1. Tip number 1.
0: As to put your
3: Uh, knowledge base in context. Uh, So sometimes I've seen people with with their help sites or their FAQs or however it's organized, uh, it's kind of like off in its own place and it's really hard to get to when you're actually using the app or using a feature. Um, And I've seen a variety of ways that people make it available like while people are actually doing something. Uh, Sometimes they're connected to live chat, sometimes... Uh, it's just a little more clear. Sometimes, like, if you click around, something will actively pop up and ask if you need help and and point you in the direction of some things. Uh, And I just think that's a really good tactic to make it, like, handier for users.
0: Deep linking. Yeah, of sorts. Gotcha. Fair enough. Jeff, would you care to chime in on that, or uh, do you think Robert nailed it?
2: Uh I, I think Robert nailed it. That was actually one of my tips as well. So I'm just going to cross that off the
0: list. Battleship.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you hit something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Were, were you planning on, uh, on taking that from a different angle or was it pretty much uh, 100% overlap there?
2: Well, I think I get a lot of questions from people about, how, you know, I've written all this documentation, but nobody looks at it. So how do I make sure that they look at it? And I think that that's in some way asking the wrong question. It's not about how do you force people to look at your documentation, but how do you present it at the right moment
0: when someone's really confused?
3: Right. Ooh. Yeah, that's a nice spin on it.
0: Yeah, I guess in some ways, if nobody's looking at your documentation, it conceivably, it could be a good thing.
2: Yeah, it could be. I mean, a lot of people look at our documentation,
0: um, and I mean,
2: again, this is another tip that I'm going to get to at some point, but... A lot of people look at our documentation um, because they're looking for things we don't even have. So I would have a hard time believing that if we answered every question uh, or the app was just really, really easy to use, people would still look at the documentation for stuff. Um, but uh, if they don't know how to get there in the moment when they're thinking about, geez, it would be nice if this service had this or that, then they're never going to get there.
0: Yes, very. That's a that's a very cogent point. Thank yeah, you. I like it. Fair enough. I guess we'll just move right on to tip two then.
3: Tip number two.
0: And and I should make it clear we're switching up the format. Instead of five do's or don'ts from Robert and I, it will be three do's or don'ts from uh, each of the three of us. So one one third of my recommendations is coming up right now in the form of tip number two, and that <laughs> is to pay very close attention to your search logs in your knowledge center. That. Uh, If you're trying to wonder, or not trying to wonder, if you're wondering what people uh, are are wanting to find out, uh, but aren't being served necessarily, looking at the terms that they put into the search uh, field, if you indeed have search in your knowledge center, um, will very likely indicate to you the biggest points of confusion and and give you ideas for documentation that maybe is not yet written, but should be.
2: I love that tip. Um. You, you, you have not sunk a battleship,
0: but you definitely did some damage there. Um, (laughs) Oh, go ahead.
3: A near miss for me as well. Ooh,
0: just firing. That was a warning shot across the the bow of both of you. (laughs) Well, I I wanted to go even a little bit more basic on it
2: and say that please, please, please include search Mm. or make sure that your platform, whatever platform you choose, has like an easy add-on for search. You know, maybe if you only have like one doc page when you start, one knowledge center page, then you don't necessarily need to worry about search as much, but at some point you probably will. Um, but I, I wanted to include um, an anecdote that I use all the time um, in relation to this tip about search logs, which is um, we had... Uh, we, we have a... So, sorry, uh, I work at Wistia. We do web video, and um, web video has this, this concept of, like, a poster frame or, like, a thumbnail... That shows up, um, that's what we call it, a thumbnail, so that you click on a play button and the video starts
0: playing. The, the um, still.
2: A still, exactly. Uh, and when we were um, going through our search logs, we found a ton of people searching for the term poster frame. And uh, when I entered the search myself, I realized we never mentioned that version of the term. So essentially that was what the customer was calling it. That was the customer language. Uh, Uh, and we were not using that customer language anywhere on the documentation page. Therefore, they weren't getting to this Knowledge Center article that we thought was super helpful. So um, totally, this tip totally resonates with me.
0: That's awesome, and I think that anecdote is awesome. See, Robert, that's why we need to have guests on this show. It really classes it up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm nothing if not classy. That's right. Uh, Well, and I guess this is the, 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 you have the floor for tip number three, speaking of which, unless if that was your
2: tip. No, not, no, definitely not. That was just an add on to your tip. Excellent. Well, (laughs) I can't wait to hear tip number three. Tip number three. So my very first tip. I'm so excited. Um, (laughs) It's it's perfect that I'm number three (laughs) because this one actually has three parts. I was trying to come up with a clever title for it because I'm classy. And I went with the um, what I call the triangle of good language. Ooh! So the triangle. This tip has three parts. The first is everyone should be able to edit your knowledge center or your documentation. Um, The second. So I'll. Everyone in your company. Everyone in your company should have access to edit this in some way, and uh, you should make it as easy to edit as possible. You should put time into making it easy to edit. So that's that's. Triangle tip number, uh, I can't use the word tip twice. Triangle corner number one. (laughs) Um, Number two is uh, your support team should end up owning your knowledge center. So everyone can edit it, but those edits kind of stream through your support team. Um, And that is because of triangle corner number three, which is make sure that you use your customer's own language when writing your knowledge center articles or documentation or help articles or whatever you want to call them. Um, so they're, they're kind of all interrelated, so I couldn't just use one, but but basically you want the, the documentation that you write to reflect the way that your customers would talk about stuff, and the only way to make sure that that happens is, one, you have to have the people who spend the most time talking with customers um, in their, you know, uh, editing things and changing things, and also you have to make sure that um, there aren't any other interests that really... Uh, seep in, uh, like, sales language or something like that. So Mm. uh, to, to make it, I guess just to share our practice, there are certainly parts of the documentation that I delegate ownership to. So Max, for example, completely owns the Player API documentation and can make changes without needing some sort of approval from me. But if somebody on our engineering team or marketing team or something like that spots a typo, they could make a change in, like, a minute uh-huh. To the documentation without needing any, you know, needing to like lodge an issue or a bug or something like that. They can ch- making changes is fairly easy.
0: And and then is it sent to you to approve and publish it, or do you? Uh, they just it just goes live right away.
2: Good, good question. So it it uh, uh, we use GitHub for everything. Um, so what I ask is if you're changing a typo or you're switching language, um, or you're making something that's a, like a somewhat obvious change, then you don't need to you know, send it by me or send it by anybody else. You can just make it. um, If you're talking about a total restructuring or adding a new documentation page or something like that, I ask that you use what's called a pull request Mm. um, so that everybody on the team can see it and review it, and somebody might say, hey, this, uh, this is great that you added this, but this is not how our customers talk about it or something like that. So something that spurs conversation and makes sure everybody is on top of it.
0: Gotcha. And then, uh, as far as using GitHub goes, that was actually a, another question that I had when you are talking about making sure that whatever software you has, you use supports uh, search and things like that. You, it sounds like perhaps yep. you uh, rolled your own there. Is that the software that you use? Or
2: yeah, yeah. Maybe I should have started with that when you asked me if I had something to add at the beginning. Um, so we use uh, Jekyll on the back end to build um, a static site that is our documentation. Uh, and then we rolled our own um, search plugin, for lack of a better term, with uh, a search service called Elasticsearch that indexes everything, all the the, um, the copy on all the pages for search. Um, so it's really easy to edit our docs because they're all just text files in Markdown, which is a pretty simple language, and people tend to write in Markdown even if they don't realize they're writing in Markdown. Um, uh, and then. It's just the normal GitHub flow for like you know if you if you push your changes I'm using air quotes um, then they'll be live on the site in like a minute.
0: Gotcha. And did you did you uh, use a third party uh, solution for lack of a better term at one point and then and then switch to creating your own or did you do your own from the very beginning?
2: No, that's a great question. So we started with just a wiki, and I would I would highly recommend that for anybody just getting started to stay. To I mean, if, you're, if you don't have a service that has a ton of customers and you're just kind of building it out on your own, I don't think you need to go super in-depth. Um, we had several thousand customers before we thought about what really good documentation would look like, um, which is why my first tip isn't, you know, get it perfect the first time. Um, uh, so, yeah, we used a, just a basic wiki. I can't remember what the service was called. Um, and then... Uh, we were having a lot of trouble editing it and controlling it, and only a few people had the login, and it didn't look great. So we decided it was time to roll around at that point.
0: Minimum viable knowledge center.
2: It was definitely minimal. Let's put it that way. <laughs>
0: ugly. Uh, I
2: don't know what the, what the. It was ugly, viable. Yeah, ugly and non-viable. <laughs> yeah, there we go.
0: Perfect. Fair enough. All right. Um. I, I guess. Uh. I guess it's time for tip number four. <laughs>
1: Tip number four.
3: Wow, yeah, that was a lot of. Uh, this is this is a veteran move, I feel like, by Jeff with the with the triple tip. <laughs> yeah, Should the triple tip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, there's a uh, there's a lot of near misses going on here, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this one because I think it's it's still it's a small tip, but it's it's still alive, I think. Uh, so. Tip number four is to eat your own dog food with your search, um, and basically, I just see a lot of these types of knowledge centers where someone, uh, whether they rolled their own or they found a plug-in or they're using a wiki that has some built-in search, uh, the search just doesn't really work very well. Doesn't work as expected. Uh, a lot of on-site searches like this too, where you know you're better off just using Google. Um, so I think it's important to to make sure you know what that experience is like, and make sure that people can actually find what they're looking for with your search. Because uh, sometimes it's just not what you expect, and if if necessary, or perhaps even just generally encouraged, uh, would be to do some user tests to make sure that users can find things with your search.
0: Interesting. So if somebody wants to, uh, if somebody's like, you know what. This Robert guy—he's basically never been wrong. I'm gonna start doing this. What would what would you recommend as being the first thing that they do?
3: Um. Well, I think if you have a a concept of like a few things that people do that are key actions, or you know your highest trafficked uh, pages for for your knowledge base, then uh, pick someone in your team that isn't super familiar with the problem, uh, or maybe do a user test with someone. And tell them, uh, not necessarily specifically, but tell them about the task they need to do and then direct them toward the knowledge base and see if they can use your search or your navigation or something and find something quickly. Uh, And yeah, I mean, that's probably a first step.
0: Fair enough. I didn't know that these these recommendations were going to be so search heavy.
3: Are you are you holding back some search tips yourself there?
0: No, no, I'm done. But I'm just saying we're, we we came out came out uh, came out coming in hot with the search recommendations.
2: I I think that's pretty relevant. Um, actually, I I mean I, the reason why I didn't make search my number one was because I like Robert said I think you could fall back to Google search. Like a lot of people are just going to search for, you know, uh, whatever Wistia upload help in Google if they can't find what they what they want. But once you get them to, their, to your documentation, it's a real problem if you don't present them with some way to find what they're looking for
3: quickly. Right. right. And I, I think bad search is worse for me than no search. Ooh. Uh, it may depend some on your customers, uh, but especially if you have a sophisticated user base that knows to fall back to Google, then I think bad search is just a bad experience
0: plus if they're searching for answers they're probably a little bit frustrated with uh, it's 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 uh, somewhat safe to assume that that their experience has already broken down which is what's turning them to search for a solution so doubling down on that bad experience is probably not not a not a recommended approach
3: right yeah and totally unrelated Jekyll shout out the, uh, the successfulusers.com pages is, is actually Jekyll
0: Oh. oh, we're all Jekyll here on this podcast. <laughs>
3: we need uh, to hide. <laughs> all right.
0: Speaking of totally unrelated, I've got a tip that's going to just, just shooting off in a totally different direction.
3: Let's, let's, this would be tip number
0: five? Uh, what Would it be? I guess so. Yeah. Tip number five.
3: <laughs> tip number five.
0: And, and this one is more of a philosophical tip, not really an actionable tip. But it's just it's a thought piece. It's something it's like a parlor conversation, perhaps. Is uh, having a conscious distinction between uh knowledge center documentation that specifically helps people better understand how to use your interface versus having knowledge center documentation that helps people uh be better at whatever your product helps people be better at. So by way of example, um I think MailChimp is a is a good uh example to hold up here some of their documentation is, this is these click these, this series of buttons to send a campaign or to add to somebody to your list or whatever that might be. And some of their documentation is how to write compelling subject lines or things along those lines where, you know, one is making you better at using MailChimp and others are making you better at being an email marketer. My battleship is sunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I would love to hear what you think about that because my, my, my tip is not really... Like I was saying, in in, in Robert's case, if somebody was like, oh, I'm going to start doing that, I don't know what they would do. It's just kind of a thing to think about. But maybe you have some specific recommendations there?
2: Well, uh, my my tip, the one that you took, was that um, where possible, you should organize your documentation around the things that your customer actually wants to do because it's pretty rare that they're going to... So, for example, we internally call all of our features by their their name, right? We've given them a branded name or we call them something for some reason, right? Like uploading uh, makes total sense to us because you click a button called upload. But people email us all the time saying, I just want to download my video to your site. So you can't depend on them knowing to search for upload or to uh, look on your, your documentation index page for upload or anything like that. So you need to you need to make sure that you have an article that says, uh, that accomplishes what they were actually looking to do, like add your video
0: to your website.
2: Interesting. And the first step on that is, you know, add your video to your
0: Wistia account or something like that. So, right. so people think download basically just means like transfer over the internet? Uh, people think all kinds of things, Samuel. <laughs> You'd
2: be really surprised, I think, if you, if you really got down to it.
0: Yeah. And that's super interesting. I never, that never occurred to me, but it's certainly I can envision that being the case. Yeah, and, yeah and,
2: and I think part of our, I guess part of uh, one of my earlier tips was you're never going to know that until you do it a little bit, right? Until you um, send somebody, a, oh, no, I don't want to use that because then I'm giving away one of my tips. Um, <laughs> rephrase. Uh, you're just never going to know how people are going to talk, talk about things until you do some customer interviews or some support around that. Right. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, what do you mean by download? And they're like, you know, where you like, put your video in your account. And it's like, oh, we call that upload. But anyway, what I'm saying is you can't just... I see documentation all the time and it's just feature number one, feature number two, feature number three as sort of a set of links. And uh, people, you know, your customers don't care so much about what your features are called unless they're a really clever name. Um, more often they tend to be thinking like, uh, I want, you know, so so in our case, in Wissia's case, they don't care so much that it's called turnstile. They care more like, I want to add um, uh, my viewers emails to my, uh, email audience list or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and so you want to try to structure your documentation so they can find that link to that thing they want to do.
0: Right. So making it, uh, user intent centric more so than interface centric.
2: Yeah. Is that what you were getting at with your tip? I felt like that's where you were going.
0: Yeah. Well, and then the only thing that I would, I would say beyond that is just, um, I guess, uh, bigger bigger picture help uh, information like i was saying kind of like in the mailchip example of being a better email marketer or ah. you know in wistia example of being a vid- better video uh, marketer i guess would be is that the term that would make sense for you or that's definitely the correct term okay now i get where you're going yeah so um, maybe you know writing documentation about um you know how how, how to uh, light a scene or how to better mix sound or things like that
2: totally so we have a completely separate site for that
0: oh so that's not even called the knowledge center no, that is, well,
2: <laughs> it's called the learning center. So different. Um, <laughs> That's our, right. Once, our... once
0: you learn, then then you go to the knowledge center.
2: Yeah, come on, Samuel. Knowledge <laughs> center. What a um, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so we have our documentation, which is for getting customers who are confused or stuck with the app itself some help. And then we have our learning center, which is for, uh, well, it's meant to be people who, I mean, maybe this is MailChimp's um, goal, too, but. People who don't even use Wistia could go and learn things about lighting or um, shooting, you know, writing better scripts or uh, producing better video or whatever.
0: Right. And then you're building uh, affinity and trust. Well, totally.
2: And I mean, uh, you know, the rising tide will lift all the boats is our assumption. If we make it easier to make video, then more videos will mean more people who need Wistia accounts.
3: Hmm. Great. So Great. I have a question about the these two sites. Uh, do you cross-link them a lot? Because it seems like there's a lot of opportunities to say, oh, are you looking for this? Or, in, especially inside of the be a better video marketer type of site, it seems like there's a lot of opportunities to, well, you have to do this, this, and this. And part of that would be some of the specifics that you might have, you know, click through these forms in the, in the Knowledge Center.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Um, I don't think we do it enough, honestly. I think we could improve. When we first... I think it's a... It, To some people, it's a bit of a moral quandary because maybe you don't want to lead them too much down the path of, and you can use Wistia to do this because then it feels a little bit like we're uh, breaking their trust, right? Like before, it was like, doesn't matter if you use Wistia, you can use anything. And then all of a sudden, we're like, and if you want to use it with Wistia, you should do, you know, uh, that could feel a little bit bait and switch. But um, I think if done in the right way, we could do it, we should be doing it better. Let's put it that way.
3: Right. way to
2: take is our guest
0: to task, Robert.
3: No, no. Is is that site also a static site?
0: Uh,
2: it is a static site, um, but it's not Jekyll,
3: unfortunately. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it seems like maybe you could also like know if someone was logged in, and perhaps optionally. Uh...
0: Yes, totally. Great so, point. So yeah. do you, do you want to call that uh, count that as your tip, or would you would you like to uh, put in a substitute?
2: Oh, uh, did I actually give a tip in that?
0: Well, I think we kind of approached it from two different angles. One was like just, uh, you know, the the how to light a scene or how to mix sound kind of documentation. And then your case was saying instead of putting it in terms of, you know, this is a feature, putting it in terms of this is what somebody's trying to do.
2: Yeah, I like I like Robert's tip especially. I'll roll that into my tip. Um, what's that tip number
0: six? I'm getting confused. What was Robert's tip? The cross-linking yes.
2: Robert's tip was the
0: cross linking. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, so, you, so if you want to call that six, otherwise, you have the floor.
1: Tip number six.
0: No, no, I'll, I'll go with that because my first five are all taken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Then I guess for what is it? On to Robert for tip number seven.
3: Tip number seven. All right. Uh, so this one might be controversial. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. It's like uh, uh,
0: the piano player starts going... <laughs> uh,
3: so my number seven is... Uh, what, what I have written down specifically is Multimedia Extravaganza. Uh, and essentially all I mean is I think there are a lot of opportunities uh, where writing is the best approach and you know, throw in a couple of screenshots and it's super clear. Uh, but there are some times where like some context or some video or uh, maybe more more screenshots than writing uh, would better accomplish the task uh, and I just think you ought to like pay attention to that and use sort of the right tools there for the job uh, sometimes a quick video can really save you a lot of reading
0: Robert I cannot agree with you more I don't know what's controversial about that whatsoever
3: well, I feel like it's not done that often, so I thought maybe it was controversial.
0: Right. I guess it's a, it could be a little bit harder to maintain. Sure. And then it's also, you know, if you're putting it, if you're using words in a uh, in a presentation agnostic um, medium, then you don't have, every time you go and update your app, you don't have to go in and update that as well. I'm just trying to find the controversy here, because otherwise it sounds like a pretty solid idea <laughs> to me.
3: Searching for controversy. Well, Jeff can maybe weigh in with some controversy.
2: Uh, Unfortunately, I was going to say that you should use even... So, first of all, this is my number six. Um, This was my number six. Um, (laughs) I think we should use even stronger language in that you should not create documentation that doesn't make good use of images especially because I get why some people might not want to keep up video. We do a ton of video. Um, That makes
3: makes sense.
0: It would be a little weird if you didn't.
2: It would, right, it wouldn't it? Um, and we learn. We actually, I won't, maybe I'll save that as a dip. Okay, I'm gonna save that <laughs> as a dip. Um, and I'll give a little plug for, for us later. But heavy on the images um, for a couple reasons, uh, for me at least. One is um, you do a better job of tying the, using the app part and the documentation part together. You like create that context better. If you have an image where somebody can say, oh, that is what my screen looks like. Okay, cool, so I know I'm in the right place. Um, And you can always tell when we haven't done that well when people say, I don't have this menu on my screen that you're describing, and then we look, and they're not on the right screen. Mm. Um, So a little image would have uh, totally helped them. The other thing, it sort of supports what Samuel was saying earlier about um, when people get to your documentation, their experience is already a little bit broken, and they're possibly a little bit frustrated. And if you just present them with a wall of, text, they're going to just rage quit their computer and throw it out the window. Um, (laughs) I think you should try to make your documentation a delightful experience if you can. And to me, having sort of, like, if you look at our docs, um, we use a lot of full screen images. um, And we just do that to, because our app is really good looking, and we try to um, break up the text so it's easier to digest, and it's a little bit less cognitively difficult, I guess, to, to digest a page.
0: I can say uh, anecdotally as a user, any time that I've gone gone looking for help in a knowledge center and I see that there's a video to answer my question, I'm like, oh, thank God! I can just I can <laughs> click play and just take it easy for a second. Right. Unless That's- if the video is like super tedious, because then it's you know if it's a bunch of text, you can scan it looking for relevant information. If it's a video, you're kind of being held hostage until they're done talking about themselves or whatever.
3: Right. It does need to be pretty tight.
0: Yeah, because that's one thing I don't like is when it's like, uh, you know, when it comes to blankety blank, we make this something easy. Kind of like uh, what Jeff was saying about getting the sales speak into into the thing. Like, just yeah. I, I, I'm already sold because I'm trying to do it. Just help me figure out how to do it.
3: Right. It would yeah. be like having ads on your. Uh, <laughs> <or something. laughs> It's like, your video will begin in 15 seconds. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I uh, I hear both sides because there are definitely some people who tell us because we, like I said, we use a lot of video. There are people who tell us that they learn better by reading and so I completely understand that. What we tend to do is um, you front load the page with a video and you know some sort of supporting text like this video covers pretty much everything else we're going to talk about so you can just watch this or you can jump straight to a section if you're kind of already on step four out of Five steps. You don't have to start the video, you know, from the beginning. You could just go straight to the last step and look at the pictures
0: if you want. There you go. Uh, here's a question for you. Do 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 you use Wistia Analytics for your Wistia support videos? Ah, uh, there goes my tip number seven.
3: <laughs> oh oh, just put it back on the shelf and bring it. Back <laughs> no, it's yeah. fine.
2: No no, it's fine. I'll come up with something else. Um, yes. <laughs> Wait, actually, yeah, let's put it back on the shelf. Yeah. We'll That's talk nice. about
3: it later. Yeah. We can only think so many. <laughs> it, uh, but I, side note to this tip, I really like Rage Quit the Computer, so I think we have, <laughs> we have two new options for, for the title of the podcast, the 100% Actionable and Rage Quit the Computer. <laughs>
0: it's like uh, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Except a little more self-defeating. <laughs> yeah. Alright, well uh in in the in the spirit of, of not uh of having an inquisitive mind and, and uh ruining other people's tips, I'll I'll put a tip number what, eight, I guess. We're already up to eight, huh? Yeah, I believe so. Tip number eight, out on the table.
1: Tip number eight.
0: And buddy, let me tell you, if you thought your tip was controversial, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Well, I'm going to automatically agree with it just this, to diffuse your. I don't even know if I agree with this one, but I thought it would be uh, thought provoking. This is exciting. Yeah, this is this is we're making successful user history. This is, it's like it's not a do or a don't. It's like a think about it. It's a maybe. It's yeah, maybe, well, or like probably. It's a probably not. I guess is what I would say. <laughs> Probably not, <laughs> but just something to think about um, it's an it's an if you try this, your users will rage quit the computer <laughs> right we might have to change the name to rage quit the computer if if you take this tip on, but um just something to think about. I wanted to pick both of your brains about it a little bit uh buffer not too long ago put out a post that was pretty interesting, which was basically why they don't have any documentation at all and and the the gist of it was basically. Uh, I guess kind of like, uh, I guess they were making the case that documentation sort of plugs holes, but it's not an ideal permanent fix. So if, uh, say the scenario is a customer support person hears, uh, you know, five times that somebody uh, that people are encountering a particular problem, oh, I'll make a, you know, write up some documentation on it, boom, put it up there. Now we don't hear about it anymore, but it doesn't mean that people aren't still getting confused and then having to go look up the documentation. Whereas it, whereas in their case, if they have a no documentation policy, then basically they have to be totally sensitive to not only the first five people who encounter the problem, but everybody who encounters it afterwards until they actually take uh, a measure within the product experience, oh naturel, to to uh, revo- resolve it on a uh, uh, on a more permanent basis.
3: So this tip. So this is this, this is pro- probably a,
0: this is probably not number eight, but. Just the general idea. I would like to hear you two in particular are two people that I'd really like to kind of kick kick the bean around on this one a little bit. But um, just the general idea of like maybe the best knowledge center is no knowledge center, or possibly providing a little bit of uh, in app um, feedback or not feedback, but uh, providing like more contextual uh, information and support. Say you know um, a little one of those little I circles that you click, like the letter I in a circle that you click and it like a little bubble that says a little bit more about something or things like that, where is it ever, you know, is it conceivable that sending people totally out of the product experience to something else would, um, would, would have a very good use case there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, um, Carolyn,
2: um, Carolyn, who wrote this post and I have hashed this out several times about this because we disagree very strongly. um, I mean, I think it depends on the product. I think it depends on the product that you're building and um, uh, and what people want to do with it and how complex that is. Because I think if you can fit everything about how you'd use each conceivable feature under a little, you know, question mark icon or something where you can give people help for that, if you can cover every angle that people are going to want additional assistance with, with that, um, then I, I think more power to you. Um, I think, too, that her first point about uh, if you don't have documentation, um, then you hear about it a lot. I that that one I I would say is a really bad tip, <laughs> honestly. Um, for a couple reasons, one is uh, your customers are the ones that kind of get screwed in that scenario. Um, they have to like write to your support and then wait. Now Buffer support is excellent; it's really really fast, so maybe you don't have to wait that long. But it's one of those things where I would caution other people from trying that, because their support is probably not as fast as Buffer, just being honest. Um, so so the customer doesn't get to do what they want to do, or they're even angrier by the time they finally do hear about what what it is that they wanted to do in the first place. Um, the second one is uh, that it this presents it as a bit black and white, right? Uh, it says, like, oh, well, if you put up this documentation, you'll never hear about the problem again,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, which means it'll just... You know, you'll just be blissfully unaware. Um, I can tell you, as somebody who has plenty of documentation, we still know what the really big problems are. We're we're pretty well aware of what the really big problems are, um, because right. some people read it and some people don't.
0: Right, um, so it's kind of based on the false premise that that people will get encounter something, get confused, and then 100% of them will go and find the documentation that's relevant for it.
2: Right. I mean, my own thinking is that what documentation does really accomplish is help the people that wanted self-service in the first place find the stuff that they wanted. Hmm. Uh, so you're just kind of taking a group of people that really just wanted help in a different way and you're saying, no thanks. Um, that, that's just my own read on that situation. I haven't tried it yet. Um, and then the last thing I guess I'll say about that, and it, this could be a Wistia-only problem. Maybe we're the only company that works this way, but things just don't get fixed that fast. Um for us, I have a really, really long list of things that are just, you know, the type of maintenance issues that happen when you build something and you don't know how somebody's going to use it. Um, and we've built many things, so we have a lot of work to do. And uh, uh, so when somebody writes in and they're like, "Oh, this, you know, this doesn't work quite the way I wanted to," or "This, this feels a little broken to me," um, it's not the kind of thing where it's like, "Oh, okay, well, we have a bunch of people who are just kind of napping in the back, so we'll get them to work and we'll have a fix out in a minute." Um, it, it tends to be something where this is going to be a couple of months of your support people having to answer the same question over and over again. Um, so you might as well tell people up front and create better expectations around how something's going to work. And then, yeah, you might not hear about it as much, but I think that setting expectations in advance of the support email is a good thing.
0: That's that's very interesting. It makes me think, too. It makes me think a thought I've never thought before, which is to use the... Uh, the popularity or the traffic on your knowledge center um, to help you figure out which uh, to prioritize fixes and bug, bug squashing and stuff like that. So basically if you're like, Oh man, this, this particular piece of documentation is just off the charts popular. That's probably a pretty big sign that this is a, a significant point of friction for people. We should really do something about that to bring its popularity down.
2: Yeah. At the very least it tells us what workflows are the most popular because we try to assemble documentation for different workflows. So if people are ending up there, it's because they're they're really interested in how this thing works um, and how they can get more out of it. In mm-hmm. our case, people are always asking, like, "How I, I get how it's supposed to work, but how can I do it better um, is a question that we get a lot. Um, the only thing I, I wanted to add before I let Robert have the floor is that um, Carolyn is a really, really brilliant support person. So despite the fact that we disagree on this... Um, She's built a pretty amazing team, and I trust the fact that this is better for Buffer.
0: So you're, you're not putting her on the hot seat?
2: No, not at all. Although I would, I would say that um, she would do an excellent job if I did. Um, but,
0: <laughs> so she is uh, on the hot seat? I guess, yeah. Why not? Let's do it. You just got put on the hot seat. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of Robert having the floor, did you, uh, do you want to come up? Uh, oh, wait. Yeah, we did, I guess. Do you have any quick thoughts on that? We gotta kind of go into lightning round mode here as well. I think.
3: Um, well, I agree with a lot of what he said. I think product complexity bears in on this quite a bit. Um, I do think uh, that I would plug a couple of his thoughts on. Um, I don't think the docs necessarily hurt you with people that are interested in like more direct support, and I feel like you're really just offering. Different people, like we mentioned, that some people learn better with video or learn better with text. You're really just throwing a life ring to people that do things a little differently, that are more self-help oriented or something. Uh, and so you're also in in that way you're connecting with more of your customers and actually getting more feedback in different places about the product um, from different types of people. Because I know myself, I, I guess I interact with different products in kind of specific ways, and so. Uh, If I couldn't find self-help for certain products, like, I'm just done. Like, I'm not going to contact support. I'll just find something else that works. Um, And I think you can be pretty proactive as a group to learn uh, about product flaws. Like, there's, you know, a lot of, like, user connection stuff that you should be doing. So if you have documentation and you perceive that as, like, a barrier to getting feedback, then I think you should be doing other things and have more feedback loops as well anyway. Um, and then uh, you almost sunk this one for me, Samuel. But uh, I think having those docs out there not only it gives you some credibility with people that haven't yet signed up, mm. uh, but it also could have some marketing benefits uh, of just having that site out there. Um, or so, it could
0: be a good SEO play as well. Exactly. Yep, that's brilliant. That's a really good point. Fair enough. I think it comes time... It's time for tip number nine. The final tip.
1: Tip number nine.
0: The final tip.
2: That's me, right?
3: I'm I believe so. <laughs> Do you have any left?
2: I, I've <laughs> been adding them. Well, we saved one earlier.
3: Oh, yeah. But yes.
2: Samuel really wanted me to get into, but I'm saving it. And He so was my playing it number, coy. Right. My tip number nine, which builds off of Robert's tip about use multimedia extravaganzas where possible... Um, is to try to learn, uh, especially in using video, try to learn from the analytics on those videos uh, how you can not only improve your product, but also improve your content. Um, So we... Sorry, this is a plug for Wistia. I'm sorry. Um, Wistia is video hosting um, specifically for business, but our superpower is around analytics. So we give you vision into... How your uh, video is performing, and it makes it feel almost like you're giving a speech to a bunch of people, and you can like see the reaction on their faces. Um, so we, use, I use uh, a lot of video in our documentation, and I look at the analytics for those videos to decide was that video too long, what parts of it were really confusing. Um,
0: what, it, it shows uh, like a like a heat map of how like how does. long people are sticking around, right?
2: Right, it shows up in a heat map, and uh, you can see where people drop off, um, almost like you're talking to somebody, and they just, like, pull out their phone and start, like, looking at the latest tweets. Um, So at that point, I know that I've gone on way too long, kind of like we were describing earlier, where it's, like, the person takes forever to get into the content with their video. They say, like, you know, today we're going to talk about this, which will make you really good at this, and the the customers on the other end just, like, freaking out because all they want to do is figure out why this isn't working the way they want it. So... Um, I highly recommend finding a platform um, for your video that will allow you to understand like how people are digesting that part of your content.
0: Fair enough. And then and then, so if I may ask my earlier question now, do you yes. use uh, Whiskey Analytics for years? Like do you, how, what's your process there? Do you put out a new video and then say, all right, we're going to watch this and make sure that we got it right or? Yeah,
2: so we have our normal scripting process that we go through. We try to make it the best video that we can. Um, and normally we start by saying, you know, when you, write up, when you write up the directions in your documentation or in a support email, how does that conversation normally go? Like, where do you, you know, use analogies, or where do you try to um, uh, explain something in a different way or whatever? Um, so then we have our script, and we put it out there, and we look at the analytics, and there are a number of videos that I have sort of like running tests Going where I where I see like a dip. Um, so one example is uh, we have a video for um, our private sharing features, and in the right in the middle of the video I say something like, "So let's do an example," and we saw a, just a total drop off at that point. And uh, so I worked with Chris, our videographer, to just edit out that section really quick. We just removed the whole section. It just jumps straight over it, and then I put it. I I just put it right back out there and I see how the analytics change. Um and so what that means is over time our videos have gotten a lot shorter and a lot more to the point. Sometimes we think we're providing good context and people are like I get it. I can skip right by this.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's interesting. And I might say you you were a little bit uh reserved in plugging Wistia. You you absolutely shouldn't. That's a, it's an amazing product.
2: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um yeah, and then uh, I guess one other thing I will say is that um, MailChimp uses um, uses Wistia, so that's cool. But also they use a lot of uh, animated GIFs now, so for things that are really quick, they use um, very short uh, video clips that loop. Oh. Um, and they use video clips because they're higher quality.
0: Well, and that show, like, uh, like, where you should be clicking and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, it's like, oh, you know... Um, I want to use them for, like, under this menu you'll find something, and I want to show the process of of actually hovering a mouse over a menu and then, you know, kind of navigating down to the option that I want because um, one of my other tips that I didn't even have to use was um, whenever you start describing something in your documentation, it's too confusing. That probably means that you need to show it in some other way and then eventually fix it in your product. So whenever I started to find myself saying, like, Hover your mouse over this little blue section, and that's how this little menu comes out. Not only does the product need to change to fix that, but also I need to show it somehow, or else people are not going to get it.
0: Interesting. So there you go. Bonus tip in there. I wonder. Uh, I wonder what 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 media formats people will be using in the future, like binds.
2: I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: uh, I, so I haven't used
3: I haven't used Wistia myself. I haven't done a lot of video, but I will say. Uh, I know a few people uh with some products and even even some in my mastermind group. Uh and they use Wistia and I think from our discussions that it's it's the way to go. It's the best. Yeah. Thank you.
0: There you go. Alright, so to move into uh in into full on lightning round mode, if this was uh Mario, the music the background music would be playing double time here. Uh Another new element of the of the of the format is we're looking to put in a, uh, a resource of the week, and this is something that maybe has been largely in- influential to us, or just something we've been kind of chewing on lately. Not necessarily related to the topic, just a just giving a, an endorsement to something out there that uh, that has been on our minds. So, um, I guess Robert, would you like to kick it off as, as you're the first, since you have to be first in everything. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, if you're not first, you're last. Uh, so my resource is a book, uh, and I have... Uh, I actually, I got a recommendation from you on this, Samuel, and I just cool. haven't I haven't gotten to that one yet. But it's the same subject, so it's typography. Uh, this one I've actually had on my shelf for a while, and I've never been able to pull it down and go through it. But I've been reading Thinking with Type, and I've been really interested in typography and how it affects... Uh, Sort of general design and and layout and and how people you know feel about typefaces and how to use them best and so it's I don't know it's 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 a pretty good book, uh and yeah that's my resource.
0: It gets the Robert Graham seal of approval. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, my recommendation. This was because because we did the uh, the books that have influenced us episode uh, a couple weeks ago. And, like, ever since then, I've been like, ah, oh, I should have mentioned that book. <laughs> yeah. Book. And so uh, one of those is a book that has been um, super influential on me called Your Brain at Work by David Rock. And it is uh, all about brain science and how our uh, ability to focus on things depletes throughout the day and different ways to just kind of um, think. He uses a lot of interesting metaphors on just how different parts of your brain work and how you can kind of um, align your task at hand around knowing, you know, how, how your brain operates, um, which is great for self-improvement, quote unquote, but also from an experience design standpoint, knowing like, okay, I've got, I've got too many, I'm throwing too much at at people right now. Their, their prefrontal cortex is going to be overloaded or whatever that might be. It certainly at the very least makes you feel very smart. So that's my recommendation.
3: (laughs) Go feel smart. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's Jeff's turn. At
0: the very least, I'm not saying it, it, it does, That's the only thing it does. <laughs> okay. So I'll round out the
2: um, recommendations. Well, first, so I had two. The first one is related to this topic, but it's really quick. Um, it's a blog post called "Teaching the Support Team How to Fish," and it's on the uh, single Signal versus Noise um, uh, blog, which is the the base camp. Blog. It's from way back in 2013, but that, that has shaped a lot of the way I think about this, so I certainly recommend you go find that. And then the second one that I is totally unrelated, but I thought was really interesting, and I've been sort of thinking about it ever since, is this blog post called Mindful Asana. I hope I say that right. Uh, Mindful Asana by um, Dust, Dustin Moskovitz. He's the, uh, I believe, CEO at um, Asana. And it's all about um, how they work. It's, like, it's 100% actionable, to steal from this podcast title, um, it's, it's 100% actionable about how, you, uh, h- how they work um, and how they take care of each other and how they try to be more mindful in the work that they do. Um, I
0: didn't get a laugh about my reference to the fake title, so hopefully you guys don't think I actually think that's the title. <laughs> I have to admit, at first I was like, oh, hey, that's kind of like the podcast we were talking about. And then I was like, oh, that is that was what he was referring to.
3: <laughs> I was I actually searched for it with that, and I was like bitterly disappointed. I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. It doesn't exist.
0: <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, gentlemen, I think it's time, high time. That we did a quick little, something we like to call the whip around. I'm not sure, Jeff, we might not have given you a heads up on this one. But, not uh, a
2: clue what this is.
0: You do know what it is? <laughs> no, I have no clue. Okay. Uh, the whip around is when we uh, go back, re- when we cover over the uh, the tips that we gave and just kind of do them in, in rapid, uh, just naming format. Oh, crap. Okay. Uh, not to <laughs> yeah. fear, I realized That's when we started that, that we hadn't alerted you, so I wrote down yours as well. Thank you. Yep. I'm nice like that. So, tip number one, as always, me first, Robert Graham. (laughs) This guy.
3: Uh, Put it in context.
0: Tip number two, search logs. Use the search logs. Tip number three. Was that the follow the triangle of good language? That was the triangle of good language. That's correct. Nice. Tip number four
3: is uh, eat your own dog food for search and make it good or make it Google. There
0: you go. Uh, tip number six was, oh, sorry, tip number five was draw a distinction between the knowledge center and the learning center in, in uh, Wistia terminology. So making people better at using your product versus helping people being better at the thing that your product facilitates.
2: So then tip number six was um, do lots of linking between those two to help people.
0: Yes. Nice.
3: Tip number seven is multimedia extravaganza. <laughs> That's crazy.
0: The the not-so-controversial multimedia extravaganza. <laughs> tip number eight was the definitely controversial <laughs> think about not having a knowledge center, but then really do have one. Uh, and then tip number nine
2: was make lots of video and use WISCIA to measure it.
0: Excellent. That one might be my favorite tip.
3: Yeah. Thank you. Video is underused for, for support and knowledge bases.
2: I should write some sort of post about how we do that. Um... And I'll I'll
0: do that. Oh, there you go. Well, I would well, I would read it and link to it.
3: Yeah, if when when that's ready, let us know. We'll we'll go back and put it in the show notes. You guys can
0: tear it apart on a future episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to that uh, to that day. It's gonna be a good day. Uh, Jeff, we cannot thank you. En- well, I guess I may be speaking for Robert here, but I'm assuming Robert would co-sign on saying that we can't thank you enough for coming. <laughs>
3: Well, I, I would have preferred to have been first to say it. I'll I'll leave it at that. <laughs>
2: yes. And I, I survived. I hope I've been monitoring the Twitter logs and I have not torpedoed your uh, listenership yet. People know that I'm doing, some people know that I'm doing this and no one has rage quit their computers. So
0: <laughs> thanks for having me. Excellent. It was so nice to have you here. Robert, do you have any, any closing notes?
3: It was really great. It was, Nice to have somebody uh, who knew what they were talking about on the podcast.
0: <laughs>
2: it's a, a refreshing change. <laughs> yeah, someone who knows so much they've never written a blog post on it. Yep, I know everything.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous to predict future bro.